0: This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coach Show Podcast. Here we go. Well, Danny, we said last week, and I know it's a favorite time of the year for both of us when you get the divisional rounds, because obviously it's some great football. But now that we get to the four championship round teams, the thing that jumps out at me is it's always a time to look at, okay, let's look at the four teams, and let's see what this says about where we are now as a league and where are we going. I know when I worked for you, that was always a focus for us, that, okay, What are they doing, what works, and what can we extrapolate for us going forward? Let's look at some of the tendencies or what we see out of these four teams. And the most notable thing to me is, God love America, defense does
1: matter, doesn't (laughs) it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really crucial because there were big plays that that, – Green Bay had given up, and they, they gave up a huge play on the Hail Mary right before halftime, but it was not uh, in, in, not indicative of how they played because they have given up big plays all over the field, and it didn't seem to matter. They always felt that they could outscore people, but I think that the performance that the Giants put on defensively and what they were able to do on defense, I think what the 49ers were able to do defensively, particularly against New Orleans, it, it, it made a big difference. And so I think now we're back to the, does that mean also that we're expected to run the ball? The New York Giants were not a very good running team on the regular season, but for two games so far in the preseason, in the postseason, they've been able to run the ball pretty good. The 49ers, we know, expect to run the ball. So defense matters, and the team who runs the ball can actually have a chance to win. We know that's also where the Baltimore Ravens are. So three of the four teams are expected to be defensive teams who can stop the run and run the football. Now the question is going to be, what happens with everything
0: else. And, and how that applies if you are looking at your given team and saying, okay, what do I do to create that balance, that equation going forward? In an era where there's been an absolute explosion of offensive football, the, the 400 game is the old 300-yard game in terms of a benchmark going right. forward. But as you know, Denny, and we've both been on both ends of the spectrum, It's hard. that balance can be hard because usually you have your assets on one side of the ball or the other. That's the mentality you have. If you're in New Orleans and Green Bay, we win on offense. Offense. That puts a lot on a defense because if you're that good offensively, it means you usually got to lead. It usually means teams are going to throw a lot. You're not going to have great stats as a defense. And you know what? Those numbers are important to those defensive guys. Uh, yeah, they have is. some pride, and they want to they be solid as well. And I've been on a number of teams where you have those great defensive numbers. We're a dominant defensive team. So the mentality is just don't screw it up offensively. But wait a minute. We've got to be pretty good offensively, too, if we want right. to
1: win. Sure. Well, I think that the, the big thing that happens when teams, uh, particularly lately, when when teams uh, are playing with a, that mentality, that defense doesn't really matter, then they gamble more. And I think Green Bay is a great example of that. I think they just gamble more. They take more chances on defense. They guys try to make more plays. If we're not getting a lot of credit, at least we can make the great sack, or we can make the great bat down, or we can make the great interception, or we can knock the ball out and not worry so much about tackling the ball but creating a turnover. And I, I think that's that's what really can hurt you. So we're at that stage now, you know, where one and you're really done, one and you go on to the Super Bowl, that there's not another contrast that is as big as the AFC and NFC championship and both teams now that win are going to be teams that can do everything. I can't see a team now going in just because you can pass. I can't see a team going in now just because you can rush to pass. I think all four phases, run, pass, defense, run, pass, offense, all four phases and really five special teams right. are going to all play a factor. So it is it is good no old
0: fashion. It's going to be interesting to see because of the matchups we have that underline, okay, what are we as a league? We have the New York Giants, and the 49ers that are both going to say, no, I'm more physical than you are. No, no, I'm more physical than (laughs) you are. This is going to be a slugfest. You have uh, one quarterback in Eli Manning that's proven he can get the big generated offense. Alex Smith, when it counted, and we've got to kind of give him his due now. We said, well, we just don't know if Alex Smith can deliver in those situations. He did in the biggest of stages, so now you've got to give him his props as well. But that is – a formula for two teams that are more conventionally built in terms of playing good physical defense. Both want to run the ball. The other side on the AFC, it's going to be interesting because New England is clearly, we are explosive enough offensively. We can counter. There's no question Baltimore is going to be more physical. Right. But does that physical style of play trump the efficiency of a Tom Brady who was 31 first downs and only Six third down attempts. That number just blew me away.
1: Well, it does, and I and I think it, that's why it's so hard to, to you know to get a handle. I I recognize you know being an old fashioned guy. I I recognize the rules and how mm. the rules have helped to kind of dictate. This wide open style that new England has and and their ability to make it look so easy simply because nobody can really get a handle, can't get a hit, can't get a in position but i I still don't know if it if it actually does play out, and we know they haven't been there in a while they've been a good team every year, but it seemed like somewhere in the playoffs they seem seem to falter. Uh, But I just think that it's hard to believe that they're going to be able to go out there with those underneath routes where everything is underneath. Everything is, you know, five to seven yards. Everything is a catch and run. The Very few times are guys sitting down, they have a hard time believing that those receivers aren't going to really get hit pretty hard crossing routes and and coming across and, and get the ball thrown by a team like Baltimore who knows that there's only one way we're going to win this game. And that is we have got to really hit those guys. We've got to jar the ball loose. We have to make sure that when guys catch it, that we eliminate the yardage after the catch, that there, there's not going to be a lot of that. And, and I think that's the one chance that, that Baltimore has.
0: It, I, what's another trend that jumps out at me is the value of a tight end. When you look at San Francisco and Vernon Davis. The difference he made. And even a team that didn't advance New Orleans, Jimmy Graham. I mean, at the end of the day, if they don't, if Alex Smith doesn't make that play to Vernon Davis, we're talking about Drew Brees and that throw to Jimmy Graham at the tight end position. In Baltimore, it's a combination of uh, Dixon and Peta that are a huge part of what they're able to do offensively. When you're talking about, obviously, in in, uh, New York, the uh, the presence of the tight end as well, and then those two tight ends in New England with Grodkowski and Hernandez. So it seems like, to me, that that is a position that is – increasingly becoming, if you're going to be a good offensive football
1: team, you got to have a good tight end. Yeah. And these tight ends can go vertical, you know? Right. So I think in contrast, if run down, run a hook and catch and run after that's fine. But you know, both of these guys, uh, both these teams have guys that can run corner routes, man coverage. They have the ability to get away from the safety, a little bit more speed, maybe than the safety in addition to the size, uh, Hard to bring down. I mean, you know, Vernon Davis can make you miss. He's like, oh, he really is like a wide receiver. Gronkowski uh, is just like, the, like you know, this incredible specimen as a big, strong guy that can break tackles, has great speed, jumping ability. And, you know, so I, I think the tight end is going to play a role.
0: And and the ability to rush the passer that's always been true. Three of the four teams, when you're talking about the pass rush ability of the, Patri- of, the of the excuse me the Baltimore Ravens, even with a four man rush, New York and San Francisco with Justin Tuck, Pierre Paul on the outside, humanura, the ability to put a four, a rush with just a four man rush is obviously paramount.
1: Well, it is because I, I think that now people have a tendency they're playing a little bit more zone. Uh, they're throwing some man in there, but throwing man in when they blitz. I don't see as many zone dogs as we're seeing when you had guys like Pittsburgh and some of the other teams that were using that in a real real prevalent way. So the ability to just go out and say, we're, we are going to stop you with these four guys. We're going to be involved in the run. Stopping the run, and we're going to put pressure on you in the pass. We're going to allow you to play little combinations with the tight ends. Your tight ends can worry about the tight end. Your tight ends can worry about the backs. They're not going to have to worry about the, the, the linebackers. They're not going to worry quite as much about the, uh, the pass deep down the middle because of the pass rush. You're not going to have a lot of time.
0: Let's also talk about the tendency. Look at the four quarterbacks. Three of them are first-round picks. So that says you want one, you better go get it. Two of them were the first pick of the draft. But the one qualifier is, you know, Tom Brady was in the sixth. So we're all going to hold on to "Ah, Maybe I got lucky on that third day on the draft.
1: Well, but I think with Flacco and and Alex Smith are not expected to carry their teams. I mean, I I still think – that uh, that they can have a performance where they can go out and, and contribute to it. But I think more often than not, guys are going to say, hey, now look, we're going to count on the run game both on Rice for Baltimore – uh, Gore for San Francisco. We're going to make some throws, but let's count on the run game. We're going to count on the defense. So even though they're first-round picks, they're not first-round picks where guys say that they're elite players. Eli Manning has different. I think Eli most definitely now is in the elite quarterback category. He's He's been to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl. He's had numerous playoff records. I think he plays better on the road than he does at home. And I think that Eli is indeed the elite player. And, of course, Tom Brady is the most elite of the elite player as a guy that can go out and play and play well.
0: And let's finally talk about the coaches. You know, we, uh, the, the, as, as coaches are being hired now and the teams that are making changes, the league, as we said for a long time, it's a general manager's league. Give me that guru on offense, defense, just call plays, less of the overall manager. But the four coaches that are in the championship round are all managers. Tom Coughlin doesn't call either side of the ball. Neither does John Harbaugh. Uh, Jim, uh, or excuse, yeah, Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, um, he calls the offense, but Greg Roman orchestrates the offense, and it goes through Jim Harbaugh. Right. So I don't want to minimize that, but he is more of a manager than, say, Deshaun Payton or Mike McCarthy. Uh, and then, and obviously, Bill Belichick kind of oversees both ends of it. So right. at least based on this year's championship group, it leans towards, no, I need that head coach that can manage this entire process, not just that play-calling guru.
1: Right, and I, I think that that's, that's necessary in this type of uh, – scenario with these four teams particularly when you get teams that are not expected to outscore anybody i don't think even the giants expect to just outscore we expect to have a, a combination of an offense and defense a team that is expected to put a lot of points on the board because they are so badly rated at least defensively or New england but I, I think the other guys are, are sitting pretty good and have done an outstanding job. Any one of these guys could be coach of the year. At the end of the year when it's all said, and regardless of what Mike McCarthy did at Green Bay with the 15-1 regular season record, uh, no matter what what you know, Sean Payton did getting off the deck after <laughs> injuring his leg and so forth, but I think if you look at Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh, All right, if you look at Tom Coughlin and obviously Bill Belichick, any one of those four guys have just done an outstanding job and could be coach of the year. And a big part of what they do is just make sure that they have the pulse, that they feel the pulse of the team and know what to do, which buttons to push on their football team. The snap and the handoff. Up the middle it goes. Jacobs runs outside 15, a chase to the 10, outside the numbers, the 5. Angles his way to the pylon on the near side. That is a touchdown. Galloping on the 14-yard touchdown run. Was running back, Jacobs, and the Giants have put this on ice. They're going to the NFC Championship game. They'll take on San Francisco. Well,
0: let's talk about the matchups. Let's go to the Giants and the Packers. What a phenomenal game. Obviously, the, the Giants in an upset win. I think most people would call it an upset. To, uh, 37 to 20. Eli Manning, as you said, if, if not alone this game, his composite, what he's been able to do, 330 yards, three touchdowns. Rodgers, and this goes back to what we talk about, the, always the rest or rust. Do you rest your player? How do you deal with the buy? Everybody wants it, but everybody fears it. Rodgers, I don't know that he looked rusty, but certainly Jennings did, and
1: the drop passes just killed Green yeah, yeah, it is. And, and you know, what, what Bill Walsh used to always say is mishandling the ball. That was what he said. I, I call dropping balls un-American. I mean, we're Americans. All of us should be able to catch a football. But mishandling of the football, and, and some of that comes from the hits. In other words, it's it's one thing when you're playing against a bad defense and you're running around you're making all these catches you make everything look easy. But when you're playing against a good defense and a defense that's going to rely on hitting defense, a lot of times guys now do two things. One, they cough the ball up. Some big hits guys that got hit and not even wrapped up, but got hit and then got the ball jarred out and then also receptions and and, and some of those plays, you know maybe it was Russell, because you know uh, on that one throw, uh, Rogers thinks he's going to be speed break and the receiver thinks he's settling into an area. And so, of course, he overthrows. And, and so Roger's upset. The receivers upset. Well, they were upset because they were not on the same page. The hole was there. Do you settle? Do you keep going? And I think that happened a few times. And that's that one about wrestler us. You know, did we get enough work on this particular thing? Were we ready? Clearly, it was a physical game that Packers knew was coming. They'd played before. They knew exactly the kind of game it was going to be. But I think that this giant team, ever since the, uh, the Jets game, which I which I felt they played one of their best games. I thought they had one of their best attitudes. I thought their attitude was that now we're ready to start kicking some backside. And I think that was a big difference in the game. It caused, I think, the Packers to mishandle the ball, drop balls, to anticipate hitting. And also fumbles.
0: And let's, let's talk a little bit about, because we've both been in this situation, there's no one formula for dealing with the bye. First, let's, let's underline, every coach wants that bye. Everybody wants no it. No one goes, you know what, it might be better if we have to play our way through the wild card round. But when you do, and it varies, it's not one size does not fit all. If I've got a veteran quarterback versus, say, a T.J. Yates, if I've got a beat-up offensive line or if my secondary's beat up, if I've got some guys coming back from injury or a relatively healthy, you, 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 there's a million different scenarios as to how you should handle that bye week.
1: Yeah, the, you and, and like you said, everybody wants to, but how do you handle it? And normally what happens is if you don't win and you don't play well like the Packers, Mike McCarthy's kicking himself in the butt right now because, you know, we as coaches, somebody's got to take the hit. We as coaches, we take the hit. And so I'm sure he, saying, Lee, could have done this. We could have done that. We maybe should have taken this approach. But this was not their their top game. Now I thought whoever would win would score 27 points. I I kind of felt that it would be hard to score more than that. They only scored 20 points because of the Giants are so good on defense. I don't. I didn't see the Giants being able to score 37 points. I didn't right. think they had that kind of an offense. But I I think that the uh, 30 what was it 37 to, to, 20. to 20. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that that was a game that. A low-scoring game by Green Bay, which had them in shock, because they expect to score a lot more points than that. And let's talk about a couple
0: of the plays—the hail mary at the end of the half, which—and and I had, you know, quizzed you a little bit here in our production meeting. You and I have been this at a long time, and—and and have you ever gotten one? I, I only remember one. You and I got together when I was coordinating <laughs> for you, Minnesota. It was preseason, right. and it was against uh, Cleveland. And and we won like 56 to nothing, but we got one at the end of the first half and kind of looked at each other like, dang, how did yeah. that happen? Well, I've never working. gotten one
1: before. No. You know what? And I think what happened, you know, clearly, uh, the Packers didn't think the Giants were going to do a Hill Mary. They thought they were going to go for better field position, use up four seconds, and then kick it with one or two seconds left and try to kick the long field goal and so they were not in a prevent and i know everybody hates the word prevent they I mean, can even say victory they weren't in the victory mm-hmm. line right. which means really though that the, the the two safeties and the two corners they're four deep across you were all about 15 to 20 yards deep and then everybody underneath the two three four linebackers you start running and then they all meet down in the end zone well, you know, that's not the way the Packers played. They only had two guys that were in the end zone. The Giants had four guys in the end zone. And I think the Giants just hustled more. They had a few guys that beat guys down there. And they were in position not only to make the catch, they were in position for the tap. The uh, Packers were not in position for anyone. They weren't in for the position for the tap or the catch, or even the tap behind them. They only had two guys in the end zone to defend, and that's not enough.
0: Yeah, when, when I saw the play, it jumped at you immediately. There's a whole bunch of white jerseys and yeah. not a whole lot of green jerseys. <laughs> no. I don't like the sheer numbers and the odds on this. The other one was the onside kick, and and let's talk a little bit about and make sure people understand. That wasn't Mike McCarthy just walking up down the sideline and thinking, oh, you know what, I think I'll do an onside kick here. That obviously is something to via your preparation during the week. You saw something in the Giants' Front line of the kickoff return. You always tell those guys see the ball kicked, but a lot of times that's a lot of discipline. You don't. And is it the guy in the middle that leaves early, or the guy on the edges line up a little deep? They obviously saw something that said we think we can get an onside kick. When they came out the first couple times and saw that it was what their preparation showed, they said we said we were going to do it. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, they did, and and I think that the best way. Is if you have kind of an automatic call. In other words, are we sure that they, that they are going to do what we expect them to do? And and if you're convinced of it, then go ahead with it. it. I mean, I'm I'm not an onside kick guy under a surprise onside kick anyway. But if if you're not sure, then you have to have the ability to call off. And you know that was there. There was nothing that happened on that particular play. That was indicative of the fact that the Giants were unsound in their alignment. I mean, the linebacker fifty-five should have caught it right off the bat. He didn't. It went right through his hands and got to the second guy. And so, but I, I just think that they took a risk. Now it didn't kill him because right, the, Giants did, the Giants didn't score. So that that made a difference. But you still have to be in that position where you're you're going to take some risk. Uh, and I think the 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 Green Bay, you know, you don't shock them. A lot. I've been up there many times, you know, coaching with the Vikings, and you don't get to shock them very much. The hail mary was a shocker. Yeah, yeah. that, that was a emotionally shook that, them. That, up. that shocked them.
0: And 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 as you
1: know better than
0: anybody, I always worry about the emotional state of my team. That that shock value coming out. Yeah, there's confidence because they are the Green Bay Packers. But when you look at it in the cumulative as well. Now they're going, oh, gosh, the, the hell, man. Oh, boy, we're dropping passes. No, oh, boy, they got us on, on you know, on kick, and we didn't d- – the players beginning to think, oh, boy, we're snake bit. Maybe this isn't going to – that doubt starts to
1: creep in. Well, it in. creeps in also because it was a real physical game, too. Right. They'd had a couple turnovers by then. Uh, guys were really getting hit. There were A few guys are getting injured. So they knew right then they were in a ball game. And that's the one thing the advantage you have. The Giants said, hey, we have to in the first quarter let them know it's not going to be – Typical, you know, uh, giggles. We have to let them know they're going to be in a right. ball game, And if we do that, we could ca- kind of crack their shell because there's a shell of confidence that the Packers right. have had. When you're 15-1, you don't and think you can be beat. Yeah, this isn't basketball on grass.
0: This isn't scale. No. We, we, we actually get to tackle here, and you're right, making them pay the price. Well, before we move on, let's talk about, because we do these exit uh, – uh, Interviews, so to speak, about teams that are eliminated. Let's talk about what the Packers need to do going forward. Obviously, a dynamic team; they've got a championship pedigree. But some things have got to be addressed on that defensive side of the ball. They could lose their defensive coordinator, Dom Capers, to to Oakland Raiders. I think that would be a great pick for Oakland, by the way. Right. Dom Capers obviously took over two expansion franchises. That's tough duty. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. And with uh, Reggie McKenzie taking over at the Oakland Raiders, they move, may lose their defensive coordinator. Well, I'm sure
1: he's going. He's going to go get him I think that Dom's gonna he's gonna see a new world to Raiders though because their whole mentality has never been his style and I also think though that you know that Dom they they got they relied I think too much on the offense and that can happen when an offense is always outscoring people then all of a sudden the sense of urgency is not there defensively. And and now all of a sudden, you don't really stop people. You're not really as fundamentally sound, maybe, as you'd like to be. And Dom is a tremendous close. I think he had them there. They won games. He got a lot of credit for the games they won. But, they but again, they still were the last-ranked defense in the National Football League. And that can be because, you know, the offense is up 28-3 to 3 at halftime and now the team is throwing every down and so forth. But it can also be – that they weren't taking as care taking care of business as much as they should. That that they didn't have a natural pass rush. Right. That the defensive linemen were a little bit. You know, they were big. They were big and they were physical. But they they didn't seem like they had that great up and up and down the line pursuit aspect.
0: And that was the thing that jumped out at me. Obviously, Clay Matthews is a great player. Last year. They had guys rolling through, whether it was Zombo, Jones, Walden. They got great productivity in their pass rush that way. They didn't have that this year. They probably need to go, and it's great because you those guys I just mentioned, other than Clay Matthews, you get those in the fifth, sixth round. They go after those 6'2", 6'3", 245, 255 linebacker tops, types, interchangeable parts but you may have to expend some resources in that first and second day in the draft. Give me a more viable guy like a Clay Matthews that gives me a legitimate way to put pressure on the quarterback from a standard spacing front, not from some of the exotic things we do.
1: And they might have to go get the unrestricted free agent, too. I mean, yes. actually go get a couple guys to improve defensively. The 49ers sent two receivers wide right, Find two a- tight ends wide left. Smith in a gun with Gore on his left hip. Third down. Alex takes the snap. Alex looking. Got and it. It's the post and it's has got it!
0: championship can you feel candlestick well let's move on I got so many great games the Saints and the 49er game and you kind of knew People weren't quite sure whether the 49ers can pull this off. The Saints were coming in on a roll. But this 36-32, to 32, and there were four lead changes in the final five minutes. Let's talk about the 49er defense. And Not that there was any doubt coming in, but this is really one of the best defensive units we've seen in a while. Four-man rush. You can't run on him. They're well-coordinated by Vic Fangio, and they took one of the best offenses. It's not the, the best offense in the league in, in Drew Brees and the uh, – new orleans saints and made it a physical game that the 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 saints weren't up to
1: yeah and you know and the saints still made a lot of plays Uh, i I didn't think the 49ers had to capable to score 36 points i know that the saints had been giving up a lot but i just didn't think that could happen and if it was this much of a shootout I wasn't convinced the 49ers could go, even though I picked the 49ers. And I went as much as anything on this idea on on how uh, great everything is when you're playing inside and the surface, and you've got the best of both worlds. There's no such thing as slipping. Uh, have you got great footage. And then you go outside and you play in grass, even though it's California grass. So I felt the 49ers and their defense would be just enough of an impediment to the speed of the Saints to win the ball game, I did not though expect Drew to still be able to get his four touchdown passes. I didn't expect that the Saints could still score thirty two points.
0: And and let's remember the five Saints turnovers. I mean, for that 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 underlines, and they still lost. You turn the ball over five times, conventionally speaking, you are going to say, okay, you are going to lose the game. But it was a thirty six thirty two. You could make a case. You know what. If they just not turned over one of those, four turnovers, they might have won the game.
1: Well, even that right down the end, I mean, they had, you know, Breeze had three receivers that had over 100 yards receiving. So they made big plays and a lot bigger plays than people make against the 49ers. But it was indeed the turnovers, the two interceptions and and the other fumbles that made the difference.
0: You you, you talked about being outside and on grass as opposed to the dome. I think one of the ways it shows up is – I don't know that New Orleans, without, again, we talk about uh, Greg Williams, the coordinator, and having to scheme pressures. They don't really have that edge rush, that guy you have to account for. Now, when you're at home, on the dome, on that turf, it's loud, so the tackles can't hear. Your offense is in full groove. Yeah, you can you 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 can get going and rocking and rolling. But now you're on the road. You don't have the crowd noise as an aid. You don't have that quick get off on the turf. They clearly had a tougher time putting pressure on Alex Smith without those advantages.
1: Yeah, right. And they were three and two. I think when they get in those type of situations. So I just think that defensively, they're going to have to to make some improvement in personnel. I think clearly, you know, go to free agency, you know, again, and I don't know how many free agent guys are going to be available. They've got a lot of money wrapped up in offense. They've got a lot of talented players wrapped up in offense. I think for them to make the next move, they're going to have to quit some of that in defense.
0: Uh, on the other side with San Francisco, uh, Alex Smith, you know, we've been saying for a while, and it's not a matter of criticism of Alex. I know Jim Harbaugh burrs up a little bit, and it's us against the world, and you all don't respect my quarterback. Well, no, we, we don't not disrespect him. We just – He has not been in a position very often where he's had to win the game. And particularly in this forum now, when you're talking about the divisional round, you have to give Alex Smith his props. He stepped up in a number of ways, and we saw that he could win a game. This was a tipping point for Alex Smith.
1: Well, it was, and and again, you know, it's well documented. Seven coordinators in seven years now. There were some pretty good coordinators in that group. Mike Marks was in that group. Right. Uh, North Turner was in that group. So it it was, it was an issue that maybe these guys can coach. The issue was that a different system, changing uh, virtually every time, change the wording, change the terminology, and that he finally had a coach who believed in him. Well, I guess you could say that. And Jim Harbaugh did, did a marvelous job. But a big thing they wanted him to do is, look, you're going into a shootout it, with 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 this type of game, with Drew Brees, don't try to be better than Drew Brees. Just make sure that we do not have turnovers. Make sure we keep the ball in the right people's hands and be smart. And he had a lot of great plays, but nothing better, you know, than his his naked bootleg touchdown run where they got him caught right in man coverage. I don't think the 49ers expected him to be in man there was nobody outside. All he had to do was get around the end. The end wasn't even close, and there was a walk-in into the end zone. I think, again, it typified the kind of game that he had. And the whole uh, Bay very excited. Then the touchdown throw to Vernon Davis, you know, with nine seconds left on the clock. It was phenomenal. So, again, you it's not just who had the best quarterback. Because Drew Brees played extremely well. But it was, again, the team that played just enough defense. And they were, they were handcuffed defensively because of trying to deal with the New Orleans. But they played good enough defense to make the play when they had to. And New Orleans didn't play quite good enough that they couldn't make the play when they had to.
0: Yeah, it couldn't have played out better for Alex Smith, in my opinion. Had Had that bootleg that scored. Indeed, had won the game. Let's say Breeze wasn't able to take him down the length of the field and hit Jimmy Graham for the touchdown. Well, then, great. The 49ers win. We'd feel good about it, but that was kind of a unique play. Okay. You're not going to get away with that play a great deal at the time, and I don't know that we'd be sitting here going, okay, Alex Smith, is he's, he's made that step now. He's shown that he can win the big game. Nice, great play. Give him credit for it, but the fact that he then, and the emotional swing of that team, we got it won. What a great play. Drew Brees, typical fashion, down <laughs> the length of the field. It would have been very easy for the 49er team to go, "Oh, okay, it's just not going to happen. Right. To regroup yourself, Alex Smith, take him down the field. He get his throw to his his tight end Vernon Davis I don't think it could have played out any better for Alex Smith
1: no not and and because he had to go be a gunslinger and even though people said you're not going to have to be a gunslinger you're not going to win this game by yourself he actually did have to put it on his shoulders and go out there and almost win the game by himself
0: well and we've already talked a little bit about what the Saints need to do now that they're out of it let's talk about this matchup what do we see with the Giants and the 49ers, two teams that, that are fairly similar? Of course, the Giants lost to the 49ers in regular season, 27-20, in Week 10. But let's remember, Eli Manning was moving them down the field, and it was a spy by uh, uh, Justin Smith to come out of it to intercept the ball on third down. So they were you know, they were in position, as typical has been with some of the Giants' loss. They didn't lose. They just ran out of time.
1: Yeah, they did. And, and I think that uh – you know, you have to like everything about this matchup. I mean, this is this are two teams that run the ball well, and even though statistically the Giants didn't run the ball well on the regular season, they've run the ball well the last two weeks in the playoffs. These are two teams that have a good front four. The front four is actively involved in rushing the passer, uh, feel that you, you can run your combinations, you can play zone, we can apply pressure. We're not going to let Eli get in there all all day, you know, like he did against the Packers. I mean, some of those, those dropbacks against the Packers, it was ridiculous because there was no – pass rush at all that's not going to be the the case this week and also when you go to 49ers if frank gore i said it last week Mm -hmm. a three four yard run is not bad for them they are that patient they don't feel that uh, there's anything wrong with running the ball three straight times for line nine ten and then 11 yards and and having a chance to go out and be successful that's what they're going to do so this will be an old-fashioned game where the team who runs the ball west and plays the best run defense is probably going to win the game. I think the, the pass offenses of each team will probably offset each other.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, you've said for many weeks now, that what you love about New York is they seem to play better on the road than they do at home. They've been very, very good. They're going to a place that the last time they went west, east coast to west coast, they lost. The Giants are 3-11 and since 1980. Is there something to this east-west coast in the Bay Area? Well, think? I think
1: you know what? I think that they've just had some phenomenal games with the 49ers in you know, different times of the year. They have they have been very good. Uh, the Giants played good on the road, but evidently, based on those numbers, they haven't necessarily played as good in, in the Bay Area. So I, I think that's something that they know they're going to have to put, it to put it to rest. They've been a Super Bowl champion team with most of the players that are on this team right now still, and they are going to say, hey, guys, we are one step away. So
0: let's make a pick here.
1: What do you think? You know what? I I think the home team, though, it, it, mm-hmm. this is a case also where the third game, the third time now, I mean, the Giants did well the first game, did well the second game. Now they have to go another third game and make a cross-country trip, and it's all in one week. It's not the advantage of a bye week. I, I think that, uh, that that this could be the one where the Giants can't play their best game. You know, I mean, that last week might have been that best game. They had played the Packers before. They had a chance to beat the Packers before. They didn't beat the Packers before. They got to the back the Packers the second time. They did beat them this time. You know, I mean, mostly they're going to be ready to go, but I think that this could be the, the 49ers having a chance, being the home team, to be a little fresher.
0: Yeah, I think that fatigue is very real. I know that was my biggest concern in our Super Bowl run. Uh, In the championship game, we had to go from Baltimore to Oakland, the number one rushing attack in the NFL. They had a bye week. We didn't. Uh, We had to play a tough Denver team, had to play on the road against a tough Tennessee, then had to go cross country. We were uniquely matched up to play Oakland. We were able to win that game. Uh, but but the emotional and physical fatigue, because you're right, we're past that rust arrest issue right. now. San Francisco's back in rhythm. Right. So it's uh, that, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if New York does, but I'm, I think San Francisco's going to pull this out.
1: Hernandez and Gronkowski to the left. Brady takes snap, back to throw, looking around the middle, wide open. Catch by Hernandez at the five, skips into the end zone, touchdown, New England. Oh, they're just raking them now. I mean, this is no low rate. 41-7.
0: Let's get to the AFC fairly quickly. Denver and New England. You know, everybody kind of heads the bets and, you know, okay, is this Tebow magic? But <laughs> this is kind of what we expected, didn't we, 45 to 10? Yeah, England? well, but
1: New England's playing so well, and I, I think that might be the issue when it comes to Baltimore that things have gone so well for them. I mean, they're just killing people. And the way they're throwing the ball, the way they're getting the ball to the tight end, Brady throws it who he wants to throw to. They run it when they want to. They're not very good on defense again. And that was the idea that Denver had done well against them, against that defense last year. But I think now that you're in the playoffs, you're going to get the best they can do. Defense. I don't think that is exceptional, and Baltimore will clearly have the best defense on the field. But it's going to be a game that that's uh, like so many other ones between Baltimore and New England.
0: When we talk about Denver, we talked about last week about how it seems like teams that play Denver for the second time seem to have that rhythm as to how to shut down Tebow. We saw it in the Kansas City game the week before. Uh, we we see it now. Um, the fact that in Pittsburgh it didn't get to play Denver for the second time, New England played them for the second time, played them earlier during the season. They just seem to have that down as to how to play that front seven keep Tebow. He just looked he couldn't get anything going. I mean, nine of 26, five sacks. It, they just had absolutely nothing going.
1: No, they didn't. And, and again, as they say, if you're not looking very good on defense, play a team that with a, with a quarterback who seems confused and Tebow seemed confused in that particular game.
0: All right, let's talk about, let's finish off. This is the last time we'll talk about Tebow conceivably unless they make <laughs> us do it next week, even though they're not playing. Um, okay, we're at the offseason. The decisions to make uh, going forward with Denver and then what do they do with Tim Tebow in this offseason?
1: I think you got to commit to him and say, hey, everybody, this is our quarterback. Uh, we expect him to have a much better year next year. We're going to be a playoff team again. And then they've got to go to work, though. I mean, that's what you tell the public, but you go to work and you say, hey, we know this. You can be a better quarterback. You're going to have to work at it, and you have to develop him. And developing quarterbacks is, is something that the People have done for years. You mentioned to me earlier, though, about all the, N- the NFL restrictions now, the off-season restrictions, and I think they just got to hire a, a quarterback guru, and there are plenty of them there. Yeah. And, in fact, he worked with one even before. I forget which guy he worked with before the draft to, to look better during the workout. Uh, but I think whether it's that particular coach or not, he needs to get a quarterback coach to quicken that throw, to get that throw quicker, to get him to understand the anticipation and they become more accurate. There's a number of guys out
0: there. I think Terry Shea may have been who he worked with. There's also Kenny uh, Anderson, uh, uh, Kenny O'Brien. There's a lot of guys out there that we call them the quarterback whisperer in terms of a guy because there (laughs) are limitations what the team can do, and the team's got to sign off on this. And this is something Tim Tebow's got to pay for. But he'd be well advised to do that because between now and the OTAs, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. We know the young man's going to commit to it. Let's also keep in mind now this young man's got a lot of things going on. He's yeah, going well, to open up his church in the <laughs> Philippines. Obviously, the media. It's it's. We all say, okay, he's going to work right away. But it's I'm going right to. Uh, but you know what? I'll be back in a couple I'll of weeks. I'll be back.
1: I'll be back. Well, we know this. He he is totally committed and and to his church work, his missionary work. But he's going he's going to be committed to the game. He was a tremendous worker at University of Florida. At he developed some, and I think he'll do it now. And this is something he has to do. He has to realize that being an NFL quarterback is not just a six-month deal during the season, that you're going to get better each season, and you're going to learn more and understand more and look at more video and fundamentally work more at and work better at throwing the football.
0: Yeah, as a coach, it's a tough one going, hey, man, you can't be taking off to Turks and Caicos, and, you know, we need you here. But how do you tell them, hey, you can't be going to the Philippines and open up a church <laughs> and a missionary. It's like, oh, boy, you get struck down with you that can't, one. You can't do it.
1: Baltimore can end it here. Four receivers set. On fourth down, Yates steps up. Yates throws the deep ball. Right corner up in the air. Knocked away. It's over. Baltimore will hold on for the victory over Houston. T.J. Yates throwing it to the end zone, and the prayer was
0: not answered. Let, let's talk a little bit about Houston and Baltimore. Obviously, they're you know a, a really good football team that's excited to be in the championship game, and they played a great game. They didn't commend a penalty or a turnover, but a Houston team quarterback by a rookie quarterback – it just came away a little wanting with this Baltimore win.
1: Well, it was, but, you know, they had a chance. I mean, it was a game that was close, you know, 20 to 13. Baltimore did not do a lot of things right. They did enough things right. Uh, Houston didn't do as many things well with Yates, who made some mistakes even at the end of the ball game. But the, Houston did run the ball well, uh, you know, and Yates had three interceptions, which, again, when they were winning with him as a quarterback, rookie quarterback, the idea was for them not to throw any Interceptions, and so I think that's where they really fell apart. Just inability to beat. Now, I I think that Houston, Baltimore knows they have to play much better than the game against Houston when they play New England, and they're ready to do that. I think it was it was a tough one for Baltimore because that's a game that you should win, but you could lose, and you could lose simply because of the run game and the running style that Houston was going to put on the field.
0: And their ability to run on on them, uh, you know, the, that 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 was a little surprising to me. We've seen that with. Baltimore unique to this year. We've seen some teams run on them, whether it was the Seattle at one point during the season, uh, uh, as did Tennessee. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, they feel good about themselves coming out of it with the win, but I think there are enough questions. Now, this is going to be a confident group going to New England because they've won there before. But I really think for Joe Flacco is where it really gets a little dicey because, okay, we knew Joe Flacco wasn't going to have to win the game per se, although he played fairly well. Um, you're going up against Tom Brady. You, he burned up last week a little bit, and people, you know, he feels like people aren't giving him his due. Well, okay, now you're going up against Tom Brady. We're going to have a chance. I know you've got a great defense. But you're gonna to have to have a pretty good game against New England if you're gonna beat New England in New England.
1: They really are. They're not gonna be able to say just go do it defensively, get the ball, because New England's gonna score some points. I mean, their their style of play, I, I think they're gonna get hit hard and they've been hit. I think they recognize that they're not gonna score nearly as many points as they have in the past. But I think defensively, uh, you know, Flacco has to play well against this defense. I mean, this is not an exceptional defense. They've got a lot of issues defensively, they got a lot of new players defensively, they're not a very cohesive group defensively, and so this is a defense that Flacco has to do well against and be able to hold his own.
0: Uh, So as we look at this matchup, Baltimore and New England, a little bit different than the one we talked about with New York and San Francisco, kind of the dichotomy of one another. you got a physical defense. They run the ball. Quarterback has a certain presence in the shape of Baltimore. New England, it's all about Tom Brady, small ball, spread everybody out, (laughs) playing better defense than people give them credit for, but this is going to clearly be strength against strength. It's going to be an interesting matchup. I like Baltimore, half picked them all year long. They've been up there. They've gone up there before. And Foxborough is not going to intimidate them. But New England is uniquely qualified to spread them out with those two tight ends, with Wes Welker, Branch on the outside. Let's Don't forget Chad Ochocinco. He's going to show up at some point. I think the secondary of the Baltimore Ravens could be a little vulnerable, particularly if Ed Reed and that ankle injury tends to linger, and he's not 100% this matchup may be a problem for Baltimore. Well, it is. I mean, so
1: far it's been a, ma- it's been a problem for everybody. I right. mean, simply because of the ability to spread the tight end out, the ability to just consistently throw. And the, the way the rules are for pass protection now, you can't really get to Tom Brady. Yeah, uh, so at the end of the day, we, we're we thinking Baltimore, or are you thinking well, New England? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I just think Baltimore's going to – I like Baltimore's chances. I think if they really – because they have to play the perfect game. I don't think Baltimore can beat New England unless they play the perfect game, which again would be – which they've done. No penalties. They didn't have any last week. One penalty last week. No turnovers. Didn't have any turnovers last week. I think if they can do that, they've got a shot.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to come out of this game, and on Monday we're going to talk about how – Joe Flacco maybe has had his seminal moment, like Alex Smith, and they're off and running, or... We're going to be saying, boy, there's some real questions about Joe Flacco and whether he can go forward with this offense. Uh, let's let's talk about a little bit uh, about the coaching carousel, some of the things coming up. There are still jobs open in Oakland, Miami, and Tampa Bay. Jacksonville's hired Mike Malarkey. They've kind of switched out coordinators. They've hired the Atlanta Falcon offensive coordinator, and Atlanta has hired Jacksonville offensive coordinator and Dirk Cutter, so they just kind of made a swap there. Uh, and then Jeff Fisher obviously going to St. Louis. Let's start with – a little bit of a surprise. Hugh Jackson went down in Oakland.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised, but I think what, what happened, you know, Reggie McKenzie got to be the general manager, and he flat said, "I want to bring my own guy." And so, despite the fact that Hugh Jackson was there for one year. Uh, I don't think he wanted to, to question, you know, whether or not we could work together. I just want to bring my own guy. Now, the word is that that's Winston said that he really is going to, to take everything that he has done at Green Bay. And he's been in Green Bay since 1993. He was there. Reggie McKenzie was there with Ron Wolf in the scouting department. And then he was there with Ted Thompson. That he's so enamored of what took place at Green Bay that he's going to take Green Bay yeah. and he's going to set it up that way with Oakland. Now, whether that'll work or not, I don't know. Normally it doesn't work when you do right. that. But they say that Winston Moss, who's a very good defense, defensive coach and has been there a long time. Is his choice, and uh, Winston Moss is one of those guys that did play for the Oakland Raiders, so he has a great field for the Raiders. Uh, Reggie McKenzie also played for the Raiders. So these are two guys that have a background with two or three years in the Raiders, so they know the Raider way. I think they know the chinks in the armor at the Raider way too, and I think they're ready to do it differently. Does Reggie need to back
0: a U-Haul up to the the Raider facility and clean it out though and say we're we're starting from scratch because we can't do this. Meg shift jury rig as we go along and think we're going to change the culture of the Oakland. Well,
1: without Davis here, there's always been untouchables. You know, I've known Al for a long time, one of my favorite people. I had a lot of untouchables, people that were g- going to be there and that's what they were going to do. And I think if, if Reggie's going to have untouchables, you know, then his struggle's on. If he's not, if he's on clean house, that's a big, that's a big house cleaning. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does.
0: Yeah, Jeff Fisher landed in St. Louis, kind of uh, predictable to a degree. What I don't quite understand is how Miami allowed themselves to be drawn into something that was kind of destined to end up in St. Louis.
1: Well, I think the reason it happened, you remember when they made the announcement? And they, they, you know, they said, "Hey, you know, Tony sperano has gone, but uh, Jeff Ireland's g- getting his new contract right now." I mean, before. The the, inter, the interim time, the, no matter who was coaching, Jeff Ireland is going to be here. And I think once they said that, it made it difficult because Jeff Fisher wanted to have a little bit more say in who the general manager was going to be. Not necessarily hire the guy, but at least have some say to say, if I'm going to come in there, I want to make sure that I can have a great working relationship with the general manager. And I don't think he was convinced of that with Jeff Ireland.
0: Yeah, and how does Miami now say, okay, this is what we need as a team. We need that veteran presence of a Jeff Fisher. This is what we're going to bring in. Now we don't get it. Well, okay, now we're going to go get us the coordinator type. And that's likely the way they're going to do it, which is fine. There's some good guys out there. Looks like they're going to interview Mike McCoy, the offensive coordinator from Denver. There's a lot of good offensive coaches, defensive coaches out there, coordinator types. But to me, it underlines what we talked about before. Too often these teams, when they go about it, and if I'm not mistaken, this is Miami's now seventh coach in 10 years, something yeah. along that yeah. line. Yeah,
1: well, they've gotten to some bad, some bad formulas, and it really hasn't worked. It's hard to say. I mean, I think what the owner is trying to kind of get a, a you know a round hole... Uh, and take a peg and stick it in there, and, and it's square, and, and it's it's just not working. And this, again, was a case where it absolutely did not work. They were convinced of it. I think part of it, even with with uh, with uh, Bill Parcell is in there, you know, Bill coming and saying, okay, I'll do this for you, but Tony Sperano's got to be the coach. So I think they get into dictation too much, and that. We're going to do this, but we have to do this. And you have to be a little bit more open. And I think so far, once again, they they don't have a quarterback. Well, how did that happen? Now they don't have a head coach. How did that happen? They don't have either of the coordinators. How did that happen? Uh, they don't have an outstanding pass rusher. So they they really have some outstanding building that has to take place.
0: Yeah, in Tampa Bay, they, they, they have interviewed a number of former head coaches, Marty Schottenheimer, Brad, Brad Childress, Mike Sherman. Because obviously, and we know in this league, you tend to hire the opposite of what you just fired. So I hired a young, inexperienced, defensive guy in Raheem Morris. So I'm going to now get an offensive oriented, veteran coach that knows how to make that work. But they they seem a little uncertain about the combination they want to put together in Tampa.
1: Yeah, and I'm not, you know, I think we would be surprised by anything. I'm still surprised that the veteran coach, you. Bill Cowher hasn't been convinced to come back into coaching, John Gruden. No matter what they say, we we know this. I mean, Gruden says he's not going to coach Cower. We know that that those guys are young enough that if the opportunity was there for them, those guys, they would go back into coaching. And I'm still surprised that the league is still willing to take chances on guys uh, and doesn't see the need. I mean, there's more than just Jeff Fisher as far as veteran coaches out there. And so I'm not sure. What what Tampa is, is going to do, and and I think with Oakland, I'm, so you got three jobs that are open that late in the season, and Mike Mularkey was a surprise hire mm-hmm. at Jacksonville. You know, I think that you know he'd been at, a head coach at. At uh, at Buffalo and that doesn't uh, count anybody who goes to Buffalo. That's kind of like the black hole. <laughs> like it used to be like this.
0: Doesn't count because obviously Greg Williams went through there. They've been so bad for so long. It's kind of like well we're not going to hold that against you.
1: Well, I think you know Mike is a good good solid coach. He worked for for your guy in Atlanta, and, and I was surprised he got it though. So you know I think he does know uh, Gene Smith. I think Gene thinks hey this is the right guy for me. If we keep going though, I, I think Fisher made a good decision in going to the Rams because he has a quarterback and he has a chance to be involved in the hiring of the general manager. And and I think that despite the fact that the Rams have not been a very good team for a long time, he does have a chance to build their whole process.
0: And there's going to be a synergy and and, and the fact that there's going to be a unified vision for the way they go forward right. and how they piece it together. One final one here is uh, Indianapolis. They've hired uh, the guy from uh, Philadelphia. You think Jim Caldwell holds on? Uh,
1: you know what? I – I don't know what they're going to do now. I mean, what's his name? Gr- Griggin. I don't know. Uh, you know name. that the uh, he was the he, they hired a, the personnel guy. Now, surprisingly, he doesn't have that much experience. Right. I mean, when you're when you're talking about replacing a Bill Pulling, I thought they had something up their right. sleeve that said, "Okay, this is one guy who's done it all, and we're replacing him with another guy." With who's, some major decisions uh, on the horizon, it, who's now. done it all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I I would think this means that Ursay is more involved. I think that they've already made the, the the decision that we are keeping Peyton. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, and I think I I don't know. I think they keep Peyton, uh, and I don't know about Andrew Luck. I I don't know. I mean, maybe they do them both. I, I it's just hard to believe now that they would let Polian go. And hire a guy that's just inexperienced. Yeah,
0: it's, it's one of those, okay, we're going to do this, but did you think through the next step? It was now what's next. <laughs> right. I mean, there's always got to be what's next. Well, I think you have to keep Caldwell
1: under this circumstance now.
0: Yeah, may very well be. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to the NFL.com slash podcast. And we want to hear from you. You can tweet me at Coach Billick. And be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 630 Eastern. Thanks for listening.